Welcome to episode 16 of the Hockey Masterclass. Darren Gill alongside John Goins. Today we're going to get right into it. Intro list because we're joined by American Hockey Royalty as we welcome in Tony and Canyon Granado. Tony had a 13-year career in the NHL with the Rangers, Kings, and Sharks and is currently the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Cammy's a Hall of Famer and is currently a scout for the Seattle Kraken and a fellow rookie podcaster. Give her podcast a listen. It's called Girls on the Bus. Tony and Cammy, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Thanks, Darren. guys. Thanks, thanks for Happy having Happy to be here. <clears throat> so we're going to get right into it. Obviously, you know, the Granado family is a hockey family. That's, that's certainly clear in terms of where you are, but also from the early ages. In fact, I read that your, your parents actually met at a Blackhawks game or the relationship kind of started there. So from the, you know, from the early days, you know, hockey was certainly top of mind. And then lo and behold, they have six kids. So they field an entire line plus a goalie. And now obviously working in hockey and having a brother who's currently an assistant with the Buffalo Sabres. Talk to us about what it was like growing up in the Granado family. I'd imagine there must've been some amazing hockey games and maybe a couple of fights too. <laughs> I'll, I'll start, Darren. Uh, uh, it was, you know, I, I look back on it and I realize how blessed I was. Uh, for one, you just mentioned my, my mom and dad. They had a love and passion for the game of hockey. That was actually their first date was a Blackhawk game. And, and uh, as a little kid, I was lucky enough to sit on their laps for lots of those games at the old stadium. Uh, and, and our whole family had a, a passion for the game of hockey. And, and we were allowed to, to beat up the basement walls. We were allowed to beat up the garage uh, in any way, shape, or form as long as there was a game of hockey involved in it. And all of us loved it. And Cammie and I uh, basically were teammates because the two brothers that are are between us uh, were, were uh, also hockey players. They both played college here at the University of Wisconsin. One's Donnie, like you mentioned earlier, that's uh, coaching in Buffalo. And the other one's Robbie, who, who was uh, a captain here at Wisconsin. He's got daughters playing hockey now, so he's still on hockey. But, but our whole family, the other two didn't play, but they were always part of the activity. And our parents uh, let us just follow our passion. And I was lucky because everything I wanted to do, my brothers and sisters wanted to do with me. And, you know, if there was, uh, we get home from school, there was some sort of ball hockey game going on. There was some sort of competition going on. And, you know, uh, I guess I didn't realize until I was probably 14 or 15 that other guys' sisters and other guys' families didn't all love hockey and play hockey together and that we had something unique and we had something to share and grow, grow together with. And, and fortunately for us, we're blessed that hockey's still a huge part of our lives and, and the story of our lives every time we talk you know, to each other and, and visit on holidays or whatever conversation always goes back to the game of hockey and how lucky we are to have been part of it. So that's kind of a quick synopsis of what we were as kids. Uh, Cammy took a lot of the bumps and bruises along the way, but we had a rule. This is the rule. And it's, it, and I'll never forget when we played in the basement and she got banged up, she couldn't go up and show any wounds or any sort of tears towards, you know, her mom would have pulled her out of the game. And she was tough and she, she battled and, and stuck around and hung around to play with the brothers. And, and uh, those were the, the good old days and the games that we played in the basement when we were Stan Makita and Bobby Hall and turned into Mike Ruzioni and Mark Johnson and, and different NHL players and USA stars along the way. So, Cammy, last episode we had Kim St. Pierre on and, and Kim told us that in order to play hockey with her brother, she had to go in nets. So mm -hmm. how did you avoid going in nets? <laughs> no, I went in net plenty. I did. I think uh, it helped me help me round myself out as an athlete being in net a lot. I did play a lot of of goal, but we did have uh, a, a basement that our, our parents were like like Tony mentioned um, gracious enough to let us just ruin. And we had our, we would turn our uh, we had these football 
uh, goalposts or like the toy ones. We'd, we'd turn them over and we'd play little mini stick hockey. And so you didn't have to play full-time goalie in that kind of game. You rushed and all. So it was, and that's what Tony was alluding to was him and I against our other two brothers uh, that were into hockey. And um, those were the games where I really remember um, though, taking my licks. And I remember a few times just getting halfway up the stairs and they were yelling, if you tell mom, you're not playing. And I just sit at the, in the middle of the stairs and I'd be like, take a deep breath and be like, I'm okay. I'm going to come back down. I'm not going to go up and uh and just you know take it so that that really i i credit them a lot for shaping me as an athlete for my tolerance um and just you know bringing a lot of really amazing hockey and and honestly like uh, high tech technology stuff that you wouldn't i guess not technology but um things that you wouldn't normally get in a normal household. Like my brother don who's who's a coach now was a coach when he was that age he was he was the one stenciling you know, the, the, the hockey tournament on the board of, you know, how it's going to work. And it's a tournament. He's, he's clipping videos of all the top players on a VHS tape for us to see like Wayne Gretzky's goals. Um, you know, cause then you couldn't see players anywhere else. You only saw your local team and he's writing NHL teams. And then Tony's going to a, a camp and bringing back a weight vest and showing us how to use a weight vest and what plyometrics are. And we got all this, it was normal to us. And so I, their level of play is what I just assumed I'd do. So when they got college scholarships, I thought that's what I'm supposed to do. And when they, we all dreamed of playing on the Olympic team, it was a group together. We all dreamed of playing on the Blackhawks. It was just kind of brought to us as a, as a group. And I think I'm grateful for that. Uh, all those times where they did beat me up a little bit and make me tougher, but uh, definitely they wouldn't let anyone else touch me, but they could, they could, you know, they could beat me up, but no one else could. So within the four walls, it sounds like you guys were already practicing some, some equality, right? Like it was, Cammy was just, just a hockey player along the rest of you. She was part of the group. And, you know, I, I get the, the big brother approach outside the four walls, outside the house, but inside the house already, it was like, you want to play hockey. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl and you're going to have to, I guess, take your licks and, and keep on ticking, so to speak. And that probably definitely helped a, a different drive uh, that you might've had uh, beside, uh, like compared to others. Yeah. Well, you know, and I also think they made it so normal and it was never an issue that I was playing as a girl. It was just, I was their younger sibling. And I, I think when I did face a lot of adversity in youth sports, playing with boys, as I got a little bit older, people made such a big deal of it. It didn't resonate or it didn't like, bother me as much because I had this bubble around me that supported me and made it sound it was normal and it was okay. And I, my family never questioned my, um, you know, me wanting to play hockey. Um, it took a lot for my parents to say yes when I, when they, you know, they put me in figure skates, but then when I wanted to play, they were like, well, let's let her play. And it was just, it was very normal for me and had that, I had that bubble around me. And I think that really did help because I never once thought I didn't belong and they never made me feel that way ever. I was just one of them. And Tony, what was your approach there? Because like, I know, like, I've talked about it. And we talked about it previously before I started, we started recording, you know, I was the oldest of, I was the oldest of four boys. Um, there's always this, I guess, this balance of wanting to be the leader, you want to kick their butts a bit, because you don't want to get beat by the younger sibling. So it's always this dynamic. And then at the same time, you're so, I don't know, I was, so protective of your younger siblings, you know, like 
you could like wrestle and fight with them within the house, but how dare anyone even give them the, you know, the stink eye outside the four walls or even put them down verbally or physically in say the schoolyard. Well, I think there was a point probably when I was in high school, when I started hearing the rumblies, when I go to her games and I'd hear the other parents, you know, there's a, she took a lot of abuse for a, a girl to play boys hockey back in those days. And a lot of it was like, come on, man, what the heck is a girl doing playing or Hey, Hey, run that girl or Hey, hit her or whatever. It, I, so at some point I was like, man, oh man, maybe, maybe there is a time we should talk her into trying another sport that is more uh, socially accepted for women to play. And we tried talking her into women's softball, soccer, handball, all these other sports. And at the end of the day, as soon as, you know, we'd send her off to that activity and she'd come right back and we'd be right back playing hockey again. And then I started to realize, okay, you know, this is tough as a big brother. How do you support her to show her that what she's doing is fine. And I think having us uh, around her kind of to, to, to hold the, the noise away from that she was hearing or, or that we were hearing and just say, hey, she loves hockey just as much as us. Hockey's a game. Let her play it. That was the mentality of it. And really, that's why I get so, so much admiration for, for women athletes that have, you know, it wasn't just her. There were other athletes that were playing in, in different situations in different parts of the country that were playing on boys team that eventually there were enough of them playing and battling through it to, to make women's hockey be an Olympic sport. So all of them had different paths and different stories of having to face that adversity. But, but I think as an athlete too, I admired that because at the end of the day, what she was looking for, she dreamed of playing on the Blackhawks. She dreamed of playing on the Olympics. There were no Olympics and there was no way a woman was going to play on the Blackhawks, but she had that dream and that passion. And, and because she had that, you know, her, what she learned in the rink and in the basement and, and what you learn as, as siblings and parenting and all of that stuff is about following dreams and, and doing what you love to do and, and making the most of it. And whatever obstacles you face, you challenge them and you, and you face them the way, um, you know, you would in any other situation. I think that's where she's grown and becoming such a, an incredible person, not just a player the things that she went through has helped her, you know, so much and, you know, and her being a parent, her working for the Krakens now and all of the things in, that she's been able to accomplish post hockey career has been because of all of those uh, challenges that she's had to face. So, so, um, you know, as, as the big brother, I guess, I guess I could just say I was proud of what I watched her go through. I can't, you know, watching today's athletes and, and women hockey players and, and it's so much more enjoyable and, and, and easy for them to enjoy their sport. And, and it's so, so for what she went through, I really, you know, again, I'm grateful that I was part of it just from a, a standpoint of watching it and helping her. You know, hockey family is, is a term that obviously is just described of a unit of people who happen to have the same last name and live in the same house. But what's clear is that the hockey family you had was a little bit different. And, you know, Tony being, you know, a coach, you know, what I hear a lot of so far is, you know, you've been a coach probably since the age of, I don't know, 10, where, you know, you were helping to coach and, and nurture your siblings. And, and I find that interesting because, you know, John mentions that John's the oldest of a large family, you know, you're in the same boat, both coaches. Um, you know, I feel like it's something that almost has come natural to you. And, 
this notion of family, again, being at Wisconsin and reading a lot about your values, you know, the same values that you grew up with are what you've brought to where you are. And, and obviously you've coached in the pros, you've coached in the NHL, but the role of an NHL coach is substantially different than one in, in college, right? You're developing athletes for the next level. I've heard you talk about, you know, the journey and preparation. Um, so maybe kind of talk about your role now at the University of Wisconsin and, and how you're helping prepare those, those athletes, just like you prepare your siblings for what was next in their careers. Sure. Darren, I want to go back just really quick on that. And, and Cammie mentioned it earlier, and hopefully I did too. The, the whole house we grew up in, it was a, we had parents that allowed us to, to uh, you know, explore, to, to find something that we all enjoyed to, to do together, to be part of. And, and that part alone, that's where our values came from. The, the love and support we got from our parents, the values of hard work, of, of you know, of, of taking care of family, of, of all of that leadership, whatever it is, that comes from mom and dad. And, and really, um, that's what we're grateful for is we were given an opportunity as kids to play a game. That game we've continued to play our whole lives. And, and that was uh, the, the family that we grew up in because of, you know, our parents giving us those opportunities. So I think that, you know, when I coach or when I've, you know, moved on, I always think of, you know, how would my dad, you know, handle these situations? What did I learn from him that I could help pass on to players that I coach? And if I know if I do that and I can send the right message, I'm doing a good job. That's, that's what I feel. So, so, you know, coaching isn't complicated. Coaching is, you know, sharing your, your values. It's creating a group uh, similar to what we talked about, a family uh, of understanding each other's uh, uh, and what we're here to do together as a group. And, uh, you know, there's different challenges in today's athlete than there were a while ago. And every year it changes and, and there's new dynamics that are thrown into the mix. But if you can stay with your core values and you can stay with the fact that why you're doing this is because you love the game of hockey and you love being around a team and you're trying to do something special, you're going to have, you know, a chance for success. And that's kind of pretty simple formula, but, but I think it's a good one to live by. Tammy, would you say that there's a lot of similar influences in your current role as a scout? Because the reality is that both of you have played, both of you have represented your country. Both of you have played at the highest of levels and have been very, very successful. Now, in taking that now as a scout, do those influences go into those eyes when you're evaluating players? Because it's, you know, this, we have these expectations of ourselves and sometimes we can be sorely disappointed in what we see of another because we expect them to be exactly what we were to get to that point. And kids have changed and the world has changed and so on. But that family influence must still resonate with you in terms of every position that you've held, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's coaching, you've, you've shared with me how you got involved in coaching and uh, now with, uh, with scouting. Yeah, I definitely, you know, when you look at players, you, you do have to try and figure out, and it's not easy from above. You, you've got to, you know, watch their body language and watch the way they react when they're down and watch the way they react when they're up. And <clears throat> I definitely look at that aspect of a player. It's not the end all be all, but it's certainly important to understand their attitude or try to understand, um, you know, their team mentality because the locker room has to be a healthy place because teams that win are typically teams that are together. And I've seen that 
from on a family level from the very beginning, how how great it is to be collaborative and work together and let everybody be heard and seen. And and then I've seen it on an Olympic level on both sides when we didn't have it and we had a team that was fractured and we had a team that was together. And um, you know, so it, it is a component for sure when I'm scouting is to look for a little bit of those intangibles. It's not easy to see, but but um but you definitely want to have a healthy locker room to have a good team. Now that's not exactly my job to put together that, but as far as the scouting position, yes, I do look for the way a player comes alive when they're down three to two uh, and, and what he gives. And, and then, you know, someone that's losing their cool more than once or twice, or, you know, just doesn't, doesn't, isn't able to keep their emotions in check all the time. Maybe that's something you note. So it, it definitely does play, play a role. As you can see, um, I, I obviously our, our listeners can't see this, but I, I turned my hat around on purpose. Um, there's the number 21 on it. And I completely forgot, and I'll stand up here, number 21 here with the initials HK. So as, as Cami is very well aware, and Tony, that another Wisconsin Badger alum, another Team USA player in Hillary Knight, uh, joined Cami and Coach's Cafe on a on a fantastic panel. Um, in in preparing for this, obviously we had to do a little bit of digging. Digging that was not like I said, Wikipedia worthy. Obviously, at this point, I've I've not been too kind to Wikipedia, so I don't expect any sponsorship. So, um, so I reached out to Hillary. So first and foremost, why number twenty one? Because it was both your numbers. Like what, I mean, was it accidental and then it became a, a family number? Was it a specific number? Why number 21? Because I know why Hillary wears it and it's because of Cami Granato. Tony can start because he was the first one to wear it. And then yeah. I can think, I can tell you where, where I came in after that. Yeah. Stan, the man, Stan Makita was my guy. Uh, for me, um, you know, he was a, an idol that, you know, as a kid growing up, that's who I wanted to be. And fortunately for me, um, I got to meet at a young age. And sometimes when you meet your heroes and your idols, they're different than you think. He was way more special than I ever could have imagined for my idol. And uh, he was all a good friend all the way up until his passing a few years ago. Um, and uh, I always wore 21 in his honor. And I thought it was a special number for me. And uh, uh you know, Donnie and Robbie had different numbers. Uh, 20, 20 was Donnie and Robbie went to 19. So they went one under me when they followed here at the University of Wisconsin. But but I was happy. Cammy had 21. I thought that was a, a pretty good family number to have. Um, and again, it was all an honor of Stan for me. And I and I kind of picked up from that when, when Tony wore it, you know, as the older brother that I looked up to, um, 26 years older than me. So he was kind of the the king of our of our group kept us all together, and so I I definitely had looked up to him and knew Stan Makita because we had season tickets to the Blackhawks games um, as a kid, and um, and then when Mike Rosioni had it as well, it was like this is the number we're sticking to it, or I'm sticking to it, and I have I I wore it from a young age, and um, and that's where it came from. The support for the hockey masterclass is brought to you by Manscaped who's the best in men's blow-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. How's your experience going? It's been, it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, I, I got to say, I've never had this kind of care 
for my manscaping. And with the waterproof technology, it allows you to groom in the shower. One of the other coolest features is that they have an LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. So let's not forget that you can get 20% off free shipping with the code THM20OFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THM20OFF. So let's just touch on college hockey a little bit because it's obviously becoming more of a trend. We're seeing more NHLers come through the college hockey ranks and, uh, and it's an interesting trend. And, you know, Tony, I thought it was interesting because I looked at what one of the quotes you were talking about was the balance that college hockey gives athletes, this balance between having to balance hockey and school and, and a social life, things that frankly in maybe in the CHL where it's a lot of hockey, the, the balance doesn't exist and how, the balance in college hockey prepares players to be better pros. I thought that was extremely interesting. And a lot of parents listen to this podcast. So I thought it was a great question uh, to kind of lead you into and, and maybe elaborate on this notion of balance and why you think that's important. And then I want Cammy to follow it up from a scout's perspective on what her thoughts are. Sure. I, I think that, you know, I came back to the university of Wisconsin for a few reasons. One, um, this is where I played. Uh, this has been a, a great place for a lot of kids to come through, uh, have a great education, but also put themselves in a position when they leave here to have an opportunity to play professionally. Fortunately, I did. And and I felt this was a, something that was kind of, uh, as you get older in life and as you go through the coaching part of it, you realize, okay, somebody helped me along the way. Uh, maybe I can be at a point now where I can help others. And I thought this was the place where I could have the most impact on, on younger players uh, to, to, to maybe give help them get ready for the opportunities that I was given. So that was the only reason I came back. So when I got here, um, I didn't finish my education. I had to go back and, and take one year classes to, to, to get my degree. That was part of me taking the, the job was that I had to do it within 12 months to meet the requirements of our chancellor. Uh, and for me, it was, it was a really special time because, you know, trying to come back and turn a program around, trying to recruit, learn, learn this whole, you know, college game. And I still had to, you know, take all of these classes. So I had to learn what balance was. But I learned also, too, that by being able to time manage and, and, and have other things that you were obligated to, to put into it to, 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 to be able to have the opportunity to coach, I realized that I became a better coach because of it. And then when I started to think about it and I started to look at our athletes, I realized that the guys that are learning the skills in the classroom and the skills to learn how to get – you know, the project's done on time and to balance the time and, and get to work in with their tutors and everything else and get organized off of the ice that carried over to their performance on the ice and their preparation, you know, to be better players. So I think that balance of having to the challenge of having, okay, I'm going to go to school as a, a I don't want to say backup plan, but I want to get a good education because so, someday I'm going to be done playing hockey and I want to put myself in a position where I'm ready for whatever challenges come at me to have to do the balance of, of being a collegiate athlete, where we ask hours and hours of these kids every single day, you know, from practice, from weight training, from, from meetings uh, and all of that. And then they got to, you know, do their schoolwork as well. That's a heck of a workload and to show up on Friday and Saturdays and to be able to, to be ready to play, I think really does do a nice job of, of, you know, helping, young student athletes, you know, mature as a player as well and be ready for what's going to come ahead. Um, so I'm, I'm all for, you know, if, if 
I support junior hockey. I don't mind junior hockey. I'm not saying college hockey's better. Uh, I'm just saying to look at it and, and have that as uh, uh, something to think about. Man, do I want to be more well-rounded by having the challenge of, of having to handle the academic load? Um, I think that's a very powerful, uh, you know, recruiting tool for for families to look at and, and this young student athlete to look at. Yeah, I want that challenge. And and for me, fortunately, I've watched our kids. Uh, you know, your GPA is above a three zero as a team. I mean, that's incredible for a, a sport that goes through both semesters and has the the workload that we have uh, on the ice and, and and athletically committed to. So I'm proud of our guys. They, they set themselves up with tutors and do extremely uh, incredible job of being able to balance both the athletic and academic part of it. So, Cammy, I'll throw it to you as a, from the scouts' perspective uh, with respect to looking at young athletes coming through either path. Is there a difference in your mind, or, or how is it looked upon from an NHL club? Um, you know what? It's I think there's like Tony mentioned. There's a lot of different ways to get there, and not everybody's journey is the same. And not everybody's journey. It's not a race. Is what the one thing we talk about in youth sports with the parents that want to accelerate their kids so fast. It's not a race, and everyone's. Everyone's at a different journey. Everyone gets about it a different way. So there's not one recipe for it. As a scout, I'm, I'm doing NHL scouting right now, so I'm not doing a ton of amateur scouting. Um, but I know, you know, in the past, there may have been this, this view that the players had to go one way or they couldn't make it to the NHL. Like Tony was unique in being a college athlete that made it to the NHL and from the U.S. That was, that was a unique thing to, to, you know, for athletes to, to get that, take that route to the NHL. And that's changed. There's all different ways to get there. Um, a player is a player. It doesn't matter how they get there. Um, and so I think as a scout, it's not really, uh, it doesn't really come into play where I'm looking because I'm looking at players in the NHL at this point. Um, but I certainly know as a parent and I know, um, in youth sports, uh, just giving those kids balance, uh, and finding that right balance between pushing them and, and, and giving them that balance to, to have other things in their life is, is really important. And then also to stress the academics as well. Um, is a lot more. It's a lot more serious than when Tony and I were playing, as far as um, you know, specializing so early, uh, having private coaches, having nutritionists talk to your kids, psychologists. I mean, it's crazy the stuff that these kids have to see or have at their fingertips. But also, you have to figure out how to how to strike that balance. And each kid is different. Some want to go you know harder earlier. Some need a little time to mature. But I think that's the, you know, it's a it's a really interesting topic that I probably could talk way too long on, but uh, you know, there's my answer for, for now. Well, before we get to that, because you just opened the door and, and one of the main reasons we want to do, we wanted to put this podcast out there is, and, and I texted both of you about this and it, it was similar uh, behind uh, besides coaches cafe being kind of a support group basically for coaches, because hockey had shut down so suddenly is we need to do a better job of leaving the game in a better place, right? Like, so there are different challenges that we have nowadays. Um, I will, I will ask real quickly because we're on the academic side of things right now. So three out of four people here are Concordia alumni, including Cami, right? Right. Um, only one of us played at Concordia. <laughs> um, how, like, I, what was the dynamic? Because it seems like the whole family was going to Wisconsin, and Cammy, you ended up at Providence. 
Well, okay. So, and and by the way, was I was it Lou Lamorello's fifth, influence. I, I was the I was the fifth out of six kids, and I was the first to graduate. I will say that. I will <laughs> say that. I was very proud of that. They all graduated, but not. I was I was very happy about the fact that it, I was first. Um, but because you don't get many bragging rights as a as a fifth child, so that was a pretty good one. But um, I honestly, I, I I have to tell you, I was like crushed that I could not be a Wisconsin Badgers. And that's no disrespect to the school I went to because I had an amazing career there. But my brothers, I grew up, I think Tony, Donnie, and Robbie were at Wisconsin for 11 years straight. And I literally grew up going to the Wisconsin Badger games on the weekends and being a part of that crowd and being like, you know, all about the Badgers. And I was so mad that they didn't have a place for me there, that there was no... I wasn't able to play on the men's team. I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, I knew at that point where I was growing and it wasn't going to happen. And, and they didn't have a female program at the time. And I was just like this, this would, that would have been the coolest thing to go to school with my brothers and, and have my parents see both, you know, the, both of our games on different weekends and just, I don't know. I just, that would have been amazing. Um, but I ended up at Providence because it was the only school that recruited me. I actually wrote a couple letters, talked to a couple coaches from other teams and nobody wanted to, to talk. They had no recruitment at the time. They weren't recruiting in, in the Midwest. So nobody knew of me. And the reason I was recruited at Providence was one of the coaches saw me play when my mom took me out to, um, to play in Assabet Valley in Massachusetts with a girls team, just to get some, um, experience playing with girls. And from that point I was, um, Providence was like, we're interested. And that's where I went. And I, had an, you know, obviously a, a great career there. Uh, and that's how it ended. And then after my four years at Providence, um, I was able to go play at Concordia because I knew the Olympics were, uh, were coming and I got to continue my career with, uh, with Les Lawton at Concordia. And, uh, those were some of the best years of my, my hockey career. I, I had so much fun there as well. So, um, took a lot of schooling, but I got, I had uh, good experiences. Well, let's, uh, you know, it's actually, we, we had Devin Levy on recently. Um, he was a goalie for Team Canada here at the World Juniors. And just what you talked about, how you were barely recruited, it was a very similar story for him. You know, and, and on top of it, he was a, like a 97 average student cumulative over his entire uh, high school academic career. And it wasn't like he was taking basket weaving. He was winning science awards and all kinds of academic competitions while performing on the ice. So it, it just shows another example for um, to, to our audience, because our audience, again, is we're, we're aiming this towards the parents, the players and the coaches is that that's another uh, element of adversity. You know, you have a passion, you got to find a way you, you got to find a way. And grinding doesn't just always meaning working hard, you know, uh, a donkey pulling up a trailer up a hill is working hard, but at some point you got to figure out smarter ways to help create your own path. But Cammy, you did open up the door and we were talking about this a little bit prior to getting on. So I'm going to try to tie in a couple of things. The, this, this FOMO, this accelerating everything, parents wanting I use a lot of food analogies. It seems like everybody wants to use the microwave to get dinner made, but nobody wants to use the stove or the oven anymore. You know, like I couldn't imagine Thanksgiving dinner made in a microwave. I just can't. I can't imagine going to a five-star restaurant and everything being microwave. But it seems that that's how 
uh, that's the rat race right now that's going on because it's no longer 15 minutes of fame. It's 15 seconds of fame with social media. Uh, Craig Button was a guest and he talks about it. How are we going to start teaching fourth graders seventh grade math? So if we're not doing it on the academic side of things, why are we doing it when a kid that whose emotional maturity might, might might not be there or physical maturity might not be there or mental maturity might not be there? And at the same time, why can't we just say, let them play other sports, let them pick up an instrument, let them become well-rounded people before a specialized, because when you're specialized, I, I think you got to throw out the word athlete at that point. Yeah. And I'll jump in on that too, because it's, it's something that, that uh, um, I see often. I hear parents, you know, when we're recruiting a kid, what's he got to do? Where should he go play next year so he can get there faster? And it, it is always about getting here faster. And it's, it's, um, <laughs> I love your microwave analogy. I think that's probably the best way to, to sum it up in a, in a, in a quick, you know, uh, little way of showing what it is. And, and kids are kids. And if kids have the passion and they love to do something so much, they'll find just like we did. We had our family. So we had brothers and sisters that we did. If, if, if I didn't have brothers and sisters, I would have found buddies that say, hey, come on, let's go, let's play. I think, I think there's so much more there from a, from a growth standpoint as an individual. Um, instead of us as parents trying to say, okay, we're going to send you here because this is going to help your skating, or we're going to send you there because we think, you know, this will help you, uh, go faster as a player. Like, I think we're missing a lot of things here. I think our, our, our youth sports and how they're set up uh, kind of lead into that. Um, I think, you, you know, most of the players are like, you know, their, their families look at it and they see the neighbors, kids going to play over at, you know, at prep school or he's leaving to go play juniors and everybody thinks, well, maybe I should make my kid do that. And I think, you know, Cammy made a point earlier about the NHL players. Everyone has a different path on how they get there and, and, and when they arrive. And, and I think everybody's journey should think of one thing first as you're going through this whole process. What's best for the kid as a kid, not as a hockey player? Because if we do what's right for the kid, the hockey will all take care of itself. You know, we grew up, we, we grew up playing in our basement. We made it. Playing in our basement, a, a wall, you know, a room with 15 by 15. That was our, our area to, to learn the game, to learn about being a teammate, about being competitive. Uh, about the passion of the game. Uh, so I think that, that we are all in a hurry as a society to, to push people along faster than really, you know, kids should be. So I don't have an answer. When people call me and say, where should I send my kid next, next year? I said, is he happy? And is he developed where he's been? If he is, I would leave him right where he's at. And I said, if, if he's not for some reason or, or he's grown out or he's, he's aged out of, of that team, then you have to move him. But otherwise, I recommend stay at home as long as you can. Be with your family. The values you learn from your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and your teachers that you've been with your whole life that know you will give you a much better chance for success. That's, that's my opinion. And again, I'm not telling you every kid should do this or, or should be that way, but that should certainly be part of the discussion is, Hey, what are we doing here? And, and the other issue, and I hate to bring this up when parents invest thousands and thousands of dollars for their son or daughter 
to go to a certain place to develop. To me, I think they're looking for return. So they're looking for some sort of something down the road that's going to come back to them. And some of it might be a free education. Someone might be, okay, I'm doing this so he can play pro hockey someday and get a big contract. The investment part of it and putting that equation into people's minds is certainly the wrong thing to do. You do it because you love your kid and you're giving them an opportunity to play the game and enjoy the experience of, of being a kid. If you keep put that as the number one you know, uh, important credential of why you're making a decision like that, I think you'll make a lot more right decisions. But we could talk about this for hours. John. Yeah. This is a topic that I think is, it's, 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 it's really hard to have the right answer to because I think every kid's different and we're in a, we're in a position right now where, and I see it with my kids, my, uh, my son's 14, my other one's 11 in sport. They're, they played hockey and now they're big into soccer, but if you don't specialize into the one sport at the right times, and it's not right for everyone. I'm just saying at certain times when they're taking that sport really seriously, they know they love that sport. Um, it's, it's 10 months a year, right? And so if you don't get on that spring league hockey team, then you might not get on that fall hockey team or so there's this balance and it's trying to figure out. And I, and I have admiration for parents that um, say, you know, my kid's playing baseball in the fall or, or in the spring. I don't care what's going to happen. Like they're playing baseball and they're going to take a break from, from this, you know, from hockey or whatever. Um, it's hard to do these days, but, but you can do it. And the longer you can do it, the better off and the more well run it. I think the kid is, unless of course, that's all they want to play. And that's fine too. You really have to listen and, and pay attention. I think as parents, um, you know, Ray and I call it a gut check. Like we're on the soccer field and, you know, our eight-year-old's half asleep and, you know, the ball's going by him and we're like, can you just kick the ball? Like, but you got to give yourself a gut check. Like they're eight, right? Like you can't have these expectations on these kids to be awake all the time. You know, we we're our parents used to drop us off at the rink for practice. And now, you know, with practices, sometimes they're far away parents stay and, and you're, and you're watching your kids all the time. And I think, you know, the gut check is really good for parents to have is like, Hey, listen to myself right now. Listen to what I'm saying. This, you know, they're kids. And, and, and it's not, again, it's, um, it's that projection of the fact if they're behind right now, they're never going to catch up or we're, we're, we're so quick to put these kids in boxes really early. And I think that's one thing in sport where I'm seeing in the soccer world, it's like, by the time they're eight, they're, they're filtering them and they're putting them in these positions where, they're calling it high performance and they're calling it uh, accelerated this. And then you, the kids that don't make it think that they're, they, they can never make it. And so there's these weird uh, titles on things that parents take really serious and, and kids sometimes lose confidence because maybe they're behind. And so there's, it's complicated, but when it comes down to it, I think it's about the parents understanding the balance, understanding that they might not even realize they're putting pressure on their kids by talking them about the game afterward and asking, you know, tell, trying to tell, they're probably trying to help or we're, we're trying to help our kids by saying, you know, when, when that happened, you know, could you not have done this? These things sometimes um, add up pressure for the kids. Right. And these kids are under tremendous pressure. And, and John, you mentioned school, like it's, it's like that in school too. Like, uh, there are some parents that really want their kids to uh, to excel in school and they're and they're feeling pressure to have these grades. So I think it's this this helicopter parenting that we, you know, just by default of kids not playing outside anymore and everything being organized and we're with our kids all the time. It's just there 
for us to critique them more often. And then we just have to be careful and, and mindful of, of what we're putting in the heads of our kids um, and, and let it be their thing and not our thing. And Tony, you're right. When parents invest, then you feel like you've, you've given so much, you've driven these kids everywhere. You've put so much money into it and, and you want to get something out of it. That's where you have to like, say, why, what are we doing this for? Are we doing it for the benefit of the fact that they love it? Or are we doing it because we love it? And you have to, it has to always be the, that the kid loves it and not about the parents loving it. So uh, again, I could, it's a topic that we could probably keep, keep uh, conversing about, but it's certainly uh, an interesting one and something that I think needs to be talked about more. It's an excellent topic. And uh, one of our sponsors is Hockey Lab. It's Montreal's premier off-ice training facility. And what's interesting is Hockey Lab actually also does soccer training. And, you know, if you speak to Gino, the owner of Hockey Lab, he'll be the first one to talk about athlete development through other sports. And I find, you know, what, what you talked about is, you know, the, the role of the parents. And I find at times, and I, I'm a parent of now an eight-year-old, his birthday was yesterday, the uh, same day as Wayne Gretzky and Louis LeBlanc, so not a bad birthday for a hockey awesome. player. So, you know, I find as a parent, sometimes I use the association or I use what everyone else is doing as a crutch for, for me wanting my son to focus on something. And when I take a step back, and frankly, COVID has been a phenomenal step back for me because there's just been less to do. We've been forced to find other things to do. I found, I found myself taking a little bit of focus away from hockey, even though I didn't have to. I've got a backyard rink and, and a driveway with a net in it. But then going, well, let me look at his growth and let's throw balls around. Let's he, my son loves sports. So, you know, now we're playing football, we're playing tennis, we're playing baseball, things we would have never done because everything before that was just hockey, hockey, hockey. And it's been great for me as a parent to be able to take that little step back and say, okay, I still want athletic developments, but let's do it in a little bit of a different way. Let's give them these doses. And also I hate to say it when we were doing hockey at times, seven days a week, again, and that's when he was seven which is as a parent, I'll tell you, that was a little too much. He was getting tired of the game and he was starting to like it a little bit less. He didn't hate the game, but it was becoming a chore. So, you know, for the parents who are kind of getting caught up in this, my piece of feedback is take a step back, look at what's going on. And then also recognize that even if you want to develop an athlete, there's better ways to do it. Each kid is different, right? Each, each child is different. Some, some want to, want to go and, and, and they'll take the ball outside or the puck outside and, and, and start stick handling. They're the ones who really just, you know, want more of it, but it has to be the, the child. I mean, we can, we can guide them. Um, and, and of course the amount of practice that they have, you know, it's, it's part of maybe what, what the team wants, but it's finding that balance away from that where you can give them time to just, just be a kid. And, and that's super important. You know, I'll share a, a quick story. We talk about math that every parent wants you know, their child to be good at math. And traditional math is not overly exciting. So what me and my son started doing is playing games with hockey cards. So we'd look at the back of hockey cards and look at either, you know, points or games played. And then he'd take a pack, I'd take a pack, and then we'd have to add it up. And then we'd see who had the most points. And it was a fun way to get to do math. And in, in the same way that we essentially try to teach sport, you can teach other things. And, and I said this to John a couple of weeks ago, and, and I don't believe that I mentioned it on air, so I will. You know, I've coached at the youth hockey level, typically kind of either mag, pre-novice. And like I've always told my assistant coaches, a lot of what we're doing with kids at that age is finding different ways to get them their vegetables. Kids notionally don't like eating vegetables, so parents have to find ways to hide it in their food. So if you tell a kid we're going to focus on skating at practice, he's not going to want to do it. 
So let's focus on trying to get them all of those building blocks, all the vegetables he needs in other ways. Now you can do that playing fun games or just design a great practice that does all those things. You want them to work on edge work, work on edge work. You don't have to have a drill without pucks, but do something fun. You want them to learn how to compete, learn how to compete. So to me, it was always, my practices were always hiding as many vegetables as I could. So they had no idea they were learning what they were learning. So, um, you know, to me, that's part of what we do. And I think that's just part of being a parent, which, you know, you know, Tony said earlier, you know, being a coach is easy. I think it's easy when you're good at it, but it takes a little bit of work. Same thing as parenting. Parenting is easy when you put a lot of effort into it, but if you don't, it becomes extremely difficult. Just made me, it just made me think about like, um, here uh, where we live in Vancouver and in Canada, they made a rule for, uh, I forget what age group it was, but they were going to now play instead of full ice, they were going to go to this, the two, the two small games. And there was an outrage with parents that wanted to push their kids ahead and skip that age so they could go back to the big ice. And when you think about it, I don't, I was like, these parents don't understand that now their kid's going to touch the puck for 30, 30 seconds where they're going to touch the puck for maybe five minutes in the small ice games and have all this development and all this fun. And I think parents are so um, quick to think that we got to rush our kids ahead and we got to get them to the next level. But if they're never touching the puck or dribbling the ball, or they don't get enough time, they're not going to develop. Right. And so that's where, that's where the slowdown, you know, think about those things. Think about, do I need to rush my, my kid up? You know, is it, is he going to, is he going to benefit from this? And there is time him or her, I should say, but there is time, a time that might, that might work, but there's also, you've got to really look at why you're doing it. And if, if it's the answer is that your, your daughter or son isn't touching the puck for the whole game, then why are they up there? Why did you rush them up? And small games are where it's at in development right now. If you look at the USA model and how it's working with the skill development, it's, it's really shown that, you know, those kind of decisions are made to help the kids grow and to help the skill development. So just wanted to mention that. No, you're right. And, you know, we went through the same thing here in Quebec and the parents were outraged for two reasons. One is they weren't playing real hockey anymore because it was half ice hockey. And two is there was no scoreboard. They weren't keeping score. So, you know, parents were outraged because you had to know who the winner was. I mean, frankly, the kids really didn't care. And obviously most of them were keeping count anyways. Right. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, I've been trying to convince parents that it was the right move and, and I love it. And like I told any parent who plays hockey, go play three on three hockey versus playing five on five hockey. The skill development, even for an adult, you touch the puck more, you do all those things you described, but if you're not playing hockey and you don't sense it, and frankly, I'll be honest, I don't play much five-on-five hockey anymore because I find it boring. You know, I, I obviously don't touch the puck as much. Um, you know, there it's a lot longer to skate, so you're, not, you're doing a lot less hockey and a lot more just moving around. Three-on-three is the most exciting thing that happened to hockey, and it's, it's fantastic. So if you want development then small area games, three on three, and then, you know, lose the scoreboard, right? I think the Swedish model is they stop, you know, they don't keep scoring until they're like 11 years old. There's no necessary, there's no need to make that jump. And, you know, we, we talk about speed and Tony, you spoke about it before in terms of everyone's path being different. One of our early guests back in the days when we were just starting this thing was Alex Killorn. Alex spent four years at Harvard and, you know, Alex acknowledges he did, he was not ready to make the jump. He needed that time. So obviously, you know, I'm in Montreal. John's in Montreal. Kind of a Habs fan. You happen to have a Hab under your wings right now in Cole Caulfield. And I'm not asking you to talk specifically about him, but you know, fans in Montreal want to see Cole today because obviously he's hopefully going to be a superstar in this league. How do you talk to your players about when it's going to be time or how much time they need in your program before they're ready to make the jump? 
And again, each each player is different. Alex Turcott signed uh, last year with with LA. Kenry Miller signed with the Rangers. He got his first goal last night. He's up with the big club. Wyatt Kalnuck signed after his junior year uh, with Chicago. So we we understand that certain players are going to leave before they're done with their four years, especially if you're a high high draft pick. In Cole's situation in particular, um, last year he led the the Big Ten in scoring. Uh, he comes out of the gate. The scoring part of it was easy for him. It always has been. He's he's the greatest goal scorer in the history of USA hockey up until you know his 18th birthday. He did more than Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane and and everybody else. Uh, he he destroyed those those numbers. So so he's got a, a gift to him that other players will never be able to have the ability that he has to score goals. The part with Cole is he's undersized, and the part with Cole is is he's always been the first line. Winger, he's always been the first over the boards for the power play. He's always been on the ice half the game. Uh, and the team he was protected by, so to speak, on the U.S. team, he had Turcotte, he had Hughes, he had uh, – I could go on and on, Zegris. They, they had 12 forwards that were, you know, NHL star-type players. And he didn't have a guy breathing down his neck and checking him every game because who are we going to check? We have all those guys on the other team to look at. So, so he sometimes played against the third and fourth lines and, and was able to take advantage here in college. He is the focus point of other teams game plans. If we're going to beat Wisconsin, we're going to have to shut Cole Caulfield down. We're going to have to play in physical. We're going to have to put our best D pair on the ice against them. Uh, so this is all part of the growth. So when he gets to Montreal, and he's got to play against Chara and, and, you know, whatever in the playoffs, they play Washington in the playoffs and Chara is the matchup versus Cole Caulfield. Chara six foot nine and, and Cole's five foot eight. How is he going to handle situations like that? So, so what he's doing now on, on all the challenges he's facing now is helping him get ready for that opportunity. I will tell you last year at the end of the year, when we sat down, he wanted to sign. He wants just like everybody else. He wants to get to the NHL. That's his dream. Um, he was honored to be a Montreal pick. He's so fired up to, to be part of the Habs organization. At the end of the year, when Mark Bergman you know, I talked and Mark said, I don't, he's not ready. I want him to come back for another year. I said, you're right. I, I agree with you on that for his development and long-term success. He needs another year of college. And Cole didn't want to hear that. And, and when we sat down and we talked why, and he started to listen and understand, um, I think he, you know, had a buy-in for one, because if he didn't want to be here this year, it does you no good to be playing in a place that you don't want to be. But him understanding of what he needs to work on to be polished enough so when he gets to Montreal, the coach is going to put him on the ice so he can score those goals, he has to be a complete player. And when you're undersized and, and you know, your game's all offense, the first thing you have to do is show that you're responsible defensively. His commitment this year to being a leader, you saw him in the World Junior Tournament. He didn't score a lot of goals, but they won because he was one of the leaders that played as hard defensively as anyone on that team. Well, he's carried that over into his play here at Wisconsin, and that's been where his growth has been. So I think him coming back this year uh, will pay huge dividends for the length of his career that he's going to be able to play in Montreal. And what I want all our guys to do and what happened with Keandre Miller, he didn't have to play a game in the minors yet. He's playing with the big team. I don't want to send a guy out of here early to go after ride a bus and play it in the minor leagues. It is too much too, it makes it too much of a challenge in different ways. I want our guys to walk out of this door and be ready to play on an NHL team. Wyatt Kalnuck's on the taxi squad, Chicago Turcotte's hurt after the world juniors, you know, he might have to play some time down in the minors now before he gets his crack with LA. But that's my goal for Cole is that he'll never have to be 
be down and then the miners have to work his way up. It sounds like parenting because I mean everything, no, but I mean, the reality is, you know, we, we do have to listen. Like, let's say for example, when they're younger with our own kids, it is important to listen to my, my little guy's only four years old. You wouldn't believe how many people have come up to me and go, he's not skating yet. You know, like, what he understands hockey as is he gets to go to the arena with daddy. Like he gets to sit in the office. He grabs my markers and he destroys my lineup on the whiteboard. You know, little things like that. Um, I've taken him to the hockey lab. He's kind of walking on his skates a little bit. And there's some four-year-olds that are wheeling and dealing. That's great. And we got to listen to our kids. And, 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 but we also got to, there's, there's a balance there, right? Like, if we said yes to everything, they'd eat ice cream and cotton candy, right? So there's that, there's always that balance. And it sounds like with Tony here with, with Cole, I've been in similar situations where former players of mine were NCAA uh, being asked to leave early. And one of the other things, one of the other approaches I learned from one of my mentors was, well, when you decided to go to that school and take that path, what were some of your goals besides the NHL? What were some of your goals going in? And how many of those boxes have you checked off here at this point of your collegiate career? And, you know, in a couple of cases, the players were like one out of five, zero out of five, but one more year or two more years, you check them all off. You go on to pro and, and you live with a lot less regrets than say, because we all know the statistics. If you, if you leave college after one year in terms of graduation rate or two years or three years and, and so on and so forth. So it's that patience aspect facing different adversity, like Cole didn't score as much, but there was an evolution. Nonetheless, I had to, I try not to engage too much, but sometimes when you have, you know, idle hands, as they say, you know, people were all over Cole Caulfield, the first game that you guys played on TSN this year, it was like one a couple games after like 300 days off, and they're like, "Oh my god, here we go." I don't know if this style is going to translate to the NHL because of his size and this and that, and the whole rhetoric of measuring a player's potential based on a measuring tape. So that question right there, the measuring tape, is easy question to throw to both. I'd like to start with Cami as a scout, and then go back to you, Tony, because it's not like either of you are seven feet tall here. Yeah. I'm going to jump in really quick. Cause I want to go back on that. Oh, pulling rank. He's pulling. Well, I rank, am. Cammy. Totally. I'm used brother. to it. Don't worry. This is a, this is really good. And it's important Nothing new. Uh, on Cole's situation there. The games you watched with the Arizona state games, we went down to nine forwards, eight, eight forwards actually. And you know, his weekend was, was his worst weekend in college hockey. Uh, but and he ended up getting benched. I don't know if you guys know, so he got benched for the last for, uh, third period, he got benched for a 10 minute span. And our team came back from down six to two to make it six to five. Uh, and what that was, was a growing point for him. It was a learning moment. And it was one that we talked about during the year. If that happened in Montreal and he had played like that, he might've been on the bus to go down to the minors right after the game. They might have a ticket waiting right in his stall at the end of the game. He, he didn't perform well and up to his expectations. But he learned from that, and he accepted the, the, the post-game meeting that he had with me to say, Coach, I get it. I understand, and, I, and, and I'm going to move forward on it. 
And I said, listen, you're going to be, you got to be ready for the world juniors here in two weeks. And I said, you know, we got two more games before we go, before you go leave to play, you know, Russia on December 25th to start the world juniors. And we were playing Ohio state. And I said, the great thing for you right now, Ohio state has the same color jerseys as the Russians. And I said, you're going to play this game. Like you're playing the Russians. The next two games are your preparation. So on December 25th, when the puck drops, your coach is going to put you on the ice against the other team's top line. Before we went on the ice against to play Ohio State, he said, we're playing Russia tonight. And ever since that day, because of that Arizona step going backwards where he didn't perform, he has taken that lesson and applied it in a way that he has grown. I can't tell you how proud I am of him on what he's done in the past month and a half. I thought the world junior tournament for how he played without him, you know, having to feel like he had to score every shift. He had to do things right every shift. So he kept getting on the ice because the coach said, man, I trust this guy. He's doing a great job defensively. And that's where he's really taken a step in a positive way. And I don't know if he was ready for that at the end of last season to try pro hockey without having mastered that skill, or at least understanding that and being committed to it. And that's where I've seen his growth uh, in a big, big way. So uh, I, I just wanted to jump in on that because, because I know all a lot, everybody that watches hockey knows of Cole Caulfield and wants to see Cole succeed because he does something special. We want to see him in the NHL fast because he's going to have a chance to be a Panarin or, or to bring or somebody that shoots the puck in the net a lot. And, and I think this, this pace or, or this, this um, timeline is, is now back on the right track. Whereas if six months ago he signed, I think it would have been, you know, it would have been a, a very big challenge for him. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, also, if we're, if we're not giving kids the ability to have adversity and have bad games or go through a period of struggle, um, we're not even allowing that. How are they going to let themselves allow that, right? So I am I, a big believer in you can develop at any age. If, if you haven't been exposed to something and now you're getting exposed to something that can make you better, why, why do you have to be at 12 years old, the player that you're going to be? Like, why are people judging someone at 12 or 14? the player that they're going to be in, in six years or 10 years. I just, I feel like developmental, it, it's, it's always changing. So the work you put in at whatever age you're putting in is going to benefit you. Now, when we, as a young age, when we start labeling all these kids, maybe mentally, then they start labeling themselves and that might hold them back. But I think the, if you as parents can just, you know, support kids and saying like, it doesn't matter the title of the team that you're on, you just keep playing and you just keep getting better. And, and then you'll, you'll be able to go to the next level. Um, I think that's the, the hardest thing. And as a scout, um, I'm, you know, I, I came in my first year last year and I got a basis of an idea, you know, from other people about players I hadn't seen, I hadn't really watched the whole league very closely. And so when I had to watch closely, I was really careful to take other people's judgments on what that player is today because they might have seen him a year or two ago and players are changing all the time. And so I think from that aspect, it's um, from scouting, it's more about seeing what they're doing now and maybe projecting some upside. I mean, this is more NHL that I'm scouting. So it depends on how long players have been in the league. It's the younger ones that you have to, you know, try to project a little bit more, but I'm never too quick to, just, you know, it's black or white, like players do have a chance to be better. And also a player might be slotted in the right, in the wrong position. And you're like, I think this, this guy's got more upside than they're even giving him a chance to. 
and and maybe on a different team or a different line they would they would show you more maybe even they're playing on the wing and then all of a sudden they play in the middle you know 10 games later and you're like they're so much more comfortable in the middle and now you see their assets better so um i think as a scout i'm really open to understanding that um again with with amateur scouting you probably have to do it even more but uh but i certainly i certainly keep it in check You open another door, Cammy. Labels. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, I, I, obviously, because as you know, when you host a podcast like this and you're using Zoom and you try not to, you know, cut off the gas and you're going, I don't know about you and, and AJ with uh, Girls on the Bus, your podcast, but Darren and I will kind of go like, are you going next? Or, no, no. They said something that might be sparked. So we're going back and forth here. And right away labels like you know we cover this topic we cover this topic in coaches cafe uh because beyond the position of players it's the labeling of millennials the labeling of gen z's and uh i had a quick little story that i shared with our group and then you know we had a vast you know a vast amount of experience that that discussed this in coaches cafe um, I was sitting there at the NHL CA conference in, I want to say Buffalo and you break, you go into these breakout groups. And so at that time I'm, I'm still coaching mid to triple A. So I'm probably the only minor hockey coach. I've continued to work with all the players that I've ever worked with um, who are now playing pro or college or whatever. And so there was a lot of questions going to Kirk Muller, for example. Hey, Kirk, do you feel that you're spending a lot of time on explaining yourself over or the why and the why and the why? And, you know, and, and, but the questions were going to them like almost like they were complaining about it. So now it was like labeling the millennials and Gen Zs as, you know, complainers or they always want to know the why and this and that and the next thing. So I kind of just spoke up and just like, again, the, this whole notion of, these athletes that just walk in and say, you know, coach says jump, you say how high and, you know, you don't even ask questions. You just coach points and, and you go in that direction. I said, we have to understand that how they're growing up is there's no more debating. There is no more debate. I'm not going to say who scored the goal on click, 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 click. You know, there is no more debating. There is. My dad was a hockey writer. Dad, what does this word mean? Go in my office. I have 12 different dictionaries. We have encyclopedias. Go. Like now it's click, click. So we, they were almost labeling the whole group of players coming in as whiners and excuses and this and that and the next thing. But now you've touched on a different label of other people's perceptions of that player influencing your ability to scout a player. And then labeling a player by position because some kids specialize so early because I don't know, I'm sure you guys have all heard it. My kid's a natural born center. And I've said this in front of a group of parents, about 200 parents. I go, I'm a new dad. You know, it was about six, seven months after Henry was born. And I go, after this, after I speak, please someone come up to me and tell me where that box was on the birth certificate. Cause I missed it. I missed it. And then I went on to tell stories. Here's a Providence alumni, Vimal Sukumaran. He's a 96 birth year, played for me. This kid had played defense up until he was about 14, 15. Every time I had been exposed to him at U14 camps or whatever, 
and he had an opportunity to play up front, it was a world of difference. World of difference. Well, he made our team as a 15-year-old, played two years, ended up the top or second top scorer in midget AAA his second year, ended up with a scholarship to Providence after playing at Salisbury. I mean, there's other stories. We have a Dylan Finley who's committed to UVM who played forward, the opposite. It played forward until he was 15. We flipped him to D, and he went from being a midget minor kid who put up 11 points as a forward and put up 34 points as a defenseman at a higher level. You know, so I, I think there's that part, that that dangerous part of these labels and also specializing in positions that might not benefit the actual attributes that are the kids' actual strengths. And are we, is there also a connection to this whole notion of 10,000 hours? I know I yeah. rambled there, but. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell certainly made uh, made a lot of people crazy when parenting with the, that the 10,000 hours and the specializing, that's for sure. Um, I, I think, Tone, I don't know if you had something to say, but I, I was just thinking, uh, I, my, my son's, one of my son's coaches, uh, when it was, a um, they, they picked a group of boys to be on this team. It was like, they, they grabbed them from all over um, Vancouver area and, and that were on this team. And everybody had played a position before. And the coach is like, there's no positions on this team. Like we're going to put the kids everywhere and we're going to find out, um, you know, where we see them fit. And I, I loved that. I loved that the coaches took this control and they put the kids in different spots. It wasn't about winning. It wasn't about uh, anything but developing, developing and where the kid might've suffered for the first couple of games, trying to play a new position. Uh, all of a sudden it started to click in. They're like, I kind of like this position or the coach is like, they look good here. And so there was this movement of positioning where you just typically don't see before. And it was all in the minds of developing. And it was, and, and I think what was great about the coach was it was about not making, not being afraid to make mistakes and taking risks. And he encouraged taking risks and he encouraged making mistakes. I've, when I coached hockey for the first time for my son, he was, I think he was, he might've been eight, eight or nine. And I heard one of the coaches tell the kids to dump the puck in. And I was like, you know, that's the last thing you want to tell a kid when they're carrying a puck is to dump it in. You want them to carry the puck. You want them to lose it or, and understand that, Hey, maybe I need to get rid of it earlier. Or you want them to try to get around that guy because that's how you develop. You don't develop without the puck when you're, when you're asked to dump it. So stuff like that, I find um, interesting too. And I kind of went off, went off topic a little bit tone. What's your, uh, what's your take on it? I, I think the example of, of labeling it and putting in the, in a, one position is, is somewhat dangerous. The, the Dylan Holloway example this year is pretty obvious just because it just happened. So he, he played center for us all year this year because it was a need basis of uh, last year. He played wing for us because we had, we were deep down the middle this year. We switched him to center. He had a great start to the year at college. Then he goes to team Canada and they're loaded down the middle. So they put him on wing um, and he handles that no problem. And not only does he play wing, he also is asked to kill penalties. He doesn't kill penalties for us here. He's, he's a big power play guy. So he was asked to find a role on that team on Team Canada, which was totally different than the one he was playing here at the University of Wisconsin. And he's a hockey player and he's coachable. And, and he's, he said, no problem. And, and he did both and he did both really, really well. And he comes back to us and now he's playing center again. And now he's not you know, killing as many penalties as he did, but, but I think it helped his development. And then the second side of that is Kenny Holland. And I just talked three days ago and I said, Kenny, do you mind that I'm playing him at center? He's your property. And, you know, based on the, the strength of your team right now, 
you know, you're probably going to want him at wing. And he said, Tone, play him at center, play him wherever you need him. Any experience that he has in different positions is only going to help him in the long run anyways. Uh, so that was Kenny's. It was great to get Kenny's support of that. And I knew what Kenny would, you know, I knew what he was going to say. Heck, play him on defense if you want. That's going to help him grow and develop as a player. So so I, I think that's the same thing that you, you guys are talking about. And each and every player, we had Kondre Miller that played forward all the way up until two years before he got here to our program. So he's played four years of D right now. And now he's, you know, having a great start to his NHL career as a defenseman with the Rangers. So, so I think, you know, um, be open to it and give kids different options when you're young, let them play all different positions. And it's only going to help them learn to understand, okay, I'm playing forward now. What does my defenseman need me to do? Cause I was a defenseman and every time I looked up and I didn't see someone on the wall for me, or I didn't have support or someone didn't talk to me, it was really hard for me. Now I'm a forward. Maybe I can learn some of the things that will help the defenseman uh, along the way as well. So I think there's lots of, you know, I, I think Quinn Hughes played forward, all the way until he went to the U.S. program, did he not? Didn't, wasn't he converted into defenseman at the U.S. program? It might have been the year before, but I think you're, I think yeah. you're on that. So there's lots of examples like that. Yeah. Well, again, and it's it's by specializing like that, you can limit limit. Like I, I try to tell my players a lot of times, you know, worrying too often about who you're playing with versus just be getting the tap and being one of five, or worrying what position you play versus being one of twenty. Give yourself the best chance. Give yourself the best opportunity. And again, had a lot of experience with players that had the willingness and the abilities to play different positions, whether it's all three forward positions. I, I could share an Anthony Duclair story when he was 19 with the Rangers and he's a left-handed shot. And with us and in, and even in junior, he uh, we had always forced our guys to play their off wing. So so at any given point, when you move up a level, you're not just trying out for four left wing spots. You could be trying out for all 12 forward spots. And it was like, can, are you good on your off wing? Yeah, I played there all my life. Like he might have, you know, might have exaggerated a little bit. But, you know, oh, yeah, I've also played on the point on the power play. You know, little things like that. So it was a little less doubt for the, the coaches. So before we wrap up, I would uh, I wouldn't do uh, this episode justice if if i didn't share a little bit more so again from hillary cammy is the goat the reason young girls are playing today iconic player leadership kendall coin and i went to her hockey school and i know you talked about that with kendall coin on your podcast on your last episode <clears throat> she's a hero to me still have a hat she signed when i was a little girl and tony not only part of U.S. hockey royalty, but he's done it all. He's passionate. He's passionate about developing people. And that's something that was used to describe both of you, that you guys have a huge passion about not just growing this game and not just growing it for men, women, boys, girls, but growing people. Um, but there is a story, and, and, and this will connect to Cammy and, and your husband, Ray. 2018 Olympics. I don't know. I got this one from Craig. So Alexei Yashin, Craig, Ray go over to the Russia house with Alexei Yashin. And he's done a lot for the women's game. Do you know this story? Do I know this story? Yes, it's legendary. I was mad at Ray for about three right. weeks if you're going where I think you're going. So I basically is for both of you. And it, and it 
I think it's a great realization for anyone that that works in development or coaching or, or, or teaching or development of people. Do we even know how far our influences reach when we're doing what we're doing and we're doing it for the right reasons? So they go over to the Russia house and this player, Ekaterina Smolina comes over. She's talking to Ray. She's talking to Craig. And she has no idea who Ray's wife is. And then Alexei says, Ray's married to Cami Granato. And that just floored her because here, young young woman from Russia goes, she's the reason I'm playing hockey. She's like, you know, like you're up on that pedestal, but it was an influence beyond just scoring goals. So in saying that, how do you guys, and I know it's again, last question, long-winded, but does it ever come to a point where you go, you don't even realize how far your influences as a hockey family, as coaches, as people, as a family and, and individuals who have held every position. And again, I'll add a little more of the fact that we're also trying to grow the women's and girls side to the point where, and we talked about it in Coaches Cafe, it's just, it happens to be girl players playing hockey, not girls hockey. But all that is all, you know, mixed yeah. into a really messy question, but that influence, uh, how do you guys feel about that and the, the privilege of that? Um, I, well, I, I, I always, John, just what you said about girls playing hockey. I, I just would like it to be that you're just a hockey player. You don't have to be a girl playing the game. Like I, I always said for me, it was like, I'm not a girl trying to play a boy's game. I'm a hockey player. That's all. That's it. And then it's the same as what my brothers are. They're hockey players. So I think that we can get to that point and we're getting there. But um, it's funny you mentioned the Russia house because I thought you were going to bring up a story about, about Ray drinking too much vodka because <laughs> Russian vodka is a lot more potent than any other alcohol, apparently, because Ray. This isn't Ray, spitting. Uh, this, this isn't spitting chiclets. Yes. Yeah, so, so that was a different story. But when he told me that story about the young girl, she actually hugged him when she heard that. I was I honestly was floored to hear that story. And to hear it years later, because when you're doing it, you don't actually really understand it. But as you get older and you're able to reflect in your career and you can hear that you're influencing somebody in Russia. Like to me, that was like of anything, hearing that a, a young girl in Russia knows who I am and is is inspired by by what I, you know, my playing career. Um, that felt, I don't know, that was a really neat moment to to understand because I just didn't know that I had a reach in Russia. Um, and And I think if we can influence the game in all different countries, I mean, that, that's a fantastic thing. Um, so that, that was, that was really neat. And then Hillary, I mean, I, I have a great relationship with Hillary. I think the fact that her and I were the same number, the fact that she's about to break my record for most points, um, which I'm extremely excited about because it's so well-deserved the fact that she's such a veteran and leader of her team. Um, and that we have this story of her being at my camp the first year we had it is, is pretty incredible. And I think one of the most special things about that camp was before the Olympics, we were virtually unknown. I mean, literally no one really knew about women's hockey and we were on the world stage. We won a gold medal and everybody was wanting to know more about our game. And we had this camp that summer in Illinois and Chicago and 108 teen girls or something showed up to the rink, which was unprecedented. Never seen that many women in one place with hockey bags. 
And it was like, to me, I thought, I think at this point now women can walk into the arena with their bags and people aren't going to think they're carrying their brother's hockey bags. And I, and it was really, really special to be in this like energy of all these women playing. And the fact that Hillary and Kendall and Molly Schaus was there, I think Megan Bozak may have been there. Um, and, and a number of women that I still keep in touch with that were at that camp. Um, it was a really, really special camp. There were eight Olympians there uh, from the U.S. team that we were all, you know, with these girls. And and I know Hillary and I had an interaction that she remembers, and and that's why she chose the number. And I think that um, I don't know. It's it's a really cool story, and I've I've just had an amazing time watching her career, and and love the relationship we have with wearing our twenty one. So you know, she's inspiring me just as much as I inspired her. Um, she's just, uh, she's a rock star. Uh, that's tough to follow up there, John and Darren, but, but I think, you know, as a, as a, an athlete, <laughs> whether you're an elite athlete, whether you're just a player, um, there is something about hockey players that I think is special in general. Uh, from the standpoint that we play a team game, we play a game that the locker room, um, we share something unique um, that we're all proud of. But I think the thing that comes out of that is the fact we want to be represented um, by people that are good people, that that are people that are respected, and that are like Stan Makita was to me, like Mike Ruzzi was, was to me, like – Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, people that do it right, that are good human beings that you are excited for because they touched you in a way that inspires you to be a better person or to think um, in a way um, that, hey, somebody's watching me right now and I want to, I want to, you know, I want to be a good example. And, and I think that comes from those values that we talked about right at the start that you gain from your family. And that your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters, you have something special together that you want to share with with your family, with your teammates, uh, and with other people. And so I think that that um, our game uh, has thousands and thousands of people that we we look to. And Cami said how inspired she is by Hillary. So am I. I see Hillary's picture every time I walk to the rink. There's she's posted all over because she's a, she was a Badger here and had such a, a great career here and all of her all of her accomplishments are posted on our walls out there. But but I think that's what why hockey's so special. We have a group of people that that are unique. They understand what the team game is. You can't be successful on a hockey team unless you have good people in the room that understand what those values are. And I think that just goes beyond the hockey world. It goes into the real world. It goes into the bar and in Russia or wherever the heck Ray was with that. It goes into, it expands beyond just, just the rinks and, and, and the, and, and the locker room. And I think that's what makes our game so special. Well, Cammy and Tony really just want to thank you for your time today. It's clear that you are leaving the game in a much better place than it was when you started in it. And the foundation laid by your parents is something that you continue to bring to the ice or to the locker room or, or to the management room on a daily basis. So uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I know that our listeners will enjoy this conversation as well. So, so thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Darren, John. Thank you guys. Thank that was you fun. guys. That was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We might thank have you. to take this on the road when the borders open up. There you go. Great. And that's a wrap on this week's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at HKY Masterclass. 
Also, we love hearing from our listeners and would love your feedback. You can reach us at thehockeymasterclass at gmail.com. Until next time, keep your head up and keep your stick on the ice.